remind everybody that we're taking live questions as we do the messages every week. Um, you guys that are watching online and you guys that are uh, with us today in the house, uh, we're going to put that information up on the screen for you so that you guys can continue to put these questions in because you guys are dropping some really good questions. I'm about to answer another one of those that have come in, but if you will, uh, send your questions. Just hop on to slido.com and use the event code that we're showing you right now. Put that in. At any time during the message today or even later today, if a, if a question just pops into your brain about the book of Revelation or anything that we're talking about, maybe I didn't make something as clear as I could have, uh, ask a question and we'll come back to it. We'll do our best to answer every single question that we possibly can uh, pertaining to this. Because I know a lot of people have a lot of questions about the book of Revelation, especially with all this crazy stuff that's going on in the world today. It is nuts out there, isn't it? It didn't calm down much from last week, did it? Sure didn't. This world's just gone nuts. Um, you guys that are online, probably the same thing. You see craziness going on in the world, and this is probably going to continue, at least through this election cycle that we're in right now. Um, but God is doing a lot of stuff. We're seeing a lot of things happen that are literally leading into end-time prophecy that we see in the Word of God. Uh, but we want to jump into this and start answering questions. So here's the first question we're going to answer today, and it's a good one. Okay, why do we need to know all the details of Revelation? How does that help us make disciples? That's a pretty good question. I like that. I like questions like that. So uh, why do we need to know all this stuff, and how does that help us make disciples? Well, I'm going to answer the question. Uh, it's a really good question. And it, I get it. Because there's sometimes a lot of controversy that comes along with the book of Revelation because there are just some aspects of it that we don't fully understand and that leads to the interjection of opinion which can oftentimes lead to debate and speculation because there's just some things we don't know about it. But there is a lot that we do know about the book of Revelation. If we know uh, what's going to happen and we know the timelines when a lot of these major events are going to happen. Um, the argument sometimes is... Why teach about it? Because all it's going to do is foster controversy and arguments and what the Bible calls foolish arguments about genealogies and things that don't really matter. And I think that's an incredibly sophomore approach to the entire subject, to go in closed-minded like that. And I'll tell you why, because you could approach literally any topic in the Bible from that point of view. Why teach about grace? Because there's controversy surrounding grace. There's differing opinions of surrounding grace. How far does the grace of God go? How much sin does it really cover? And how much do we rely on the grace of God versus putting in our own effort and adding work to our faith so that our faith isn't dead? You see how it goes? Like There's camps on all sides of a lot of the major teachings that you see in the Word of God. I mean, you can't even talk about salvation without getting into some kind of differing opinion or controversy. Jesus died for our sins. It should be just that simple, but everybody's got an opinion on it. Okay, so once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, does that one salvation experience cover you for all the mistakes and all the sins that you're ever going to commit in your life, or do you need to come back and ask for continual forgiveness for the mistakes that you made to make sure that your heart's right with God? Can we get saved once when we're 14 years old and then live any way that we want to 
with no regard to God from that point on, but that one salvation experience cover all of that. You see where I'm going with that? Once you're saved, are you always saved? Or does God look at your heart continually and just like you willfully made a decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can willfully choose from your heart to walk away from that and live your life as you so see fit. And then Hebrews 10, 26 comes into play where the Bible says that if you continue... If you continue to persist in a lifestyle that's in contradiction to the truth of the word of God, that there's no sacrifice for sins left. You can't even talk about salvation without getting into that, you know. There's always going to be a very small group of people, I think, that are always going to see things from an incorrect point of view. And and they're always going to be there. People that are always going to major in the minors when it comes to the word of God. And I think rather than focusing on that and say we can't teach anything from the book of Revelation, uh, we can say, you know what, let's focus on the stuff that we do know, steer away from the things that we don't know, and focus on equipping people with the Word of God. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we can learn from the book of Revelation. It's incredibly important to the discipleship process, and I'm going to give you some reasons why. And this is the first one, I think, is because it's in the Bible. I'm kind of having a little bit of fun with you, but it's truth. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible for a reason. And if it's in the Bible, then we ought to pay attention to it. And we should read it. We should study it because there's some truth in there that can be applied to our lives. The Bible says in 2 Timothy uh, 3.16, this is a great verse just to to hammer that home. And I don't want to just answer a question for the sake of answering it. What I want to do is equip you through this process too so that if you ever come across somebody that has a legitimate question about, you know, why, why are we even reading the book of Revelation? None of this stuff makes sense. It can make sense, and it is important. And here's a good reason why. Um, so I want to equip you to be able to answer some of this stuff. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture. Everybody say all Scripture. All scripture. Now, how much Scripture is all Scripture? All scripture, it covers it all, man, from the first word of Genesis to the last amen of Revelation. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I want to go back through this again. It's not just that all scripture is important, okay, and that all scripture is God-breathed. But all scripture is useful. Look at this now. This is the discipleship process that's described here in 2 Timothy 3. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's a process of discipleship that's described right there. So all scripture is beneficial for the process of discipleship. And I wanted to just go a step further with that too, because like if I didn't say anything else about it, that would be enough to answer the question. But I want to give you seven quick, seven quick reasons why the book of Revelation is incredibly important for discipleship. You guys ready? This is a good answer to this question, huh? So everybody say one. one. Everybody online say one. So your kids wonder what you're what, why you're talking back to the screen this morning. One. Uh, It shows the love, justice, and wrath of God. The book of Revelation is a perfect picture of the complete personality of God. And in his justice, dealing with his, pouring his wrath out on the world. But at the same time, you see him consistently reaching out through the book of Revelation out of love 
rapturing his church out to you, you see the 144,000 preaching the gospel um, in the book of Revelation. You see the two witnesses all pointing people back to Jesus, uh, people witnessing and sharing their faith, pushing people back to Christ all through it. At one point in the book of Revelation, God is actually going to have angels flying around in full view of everybody so they can see them. Angels are going to be flying around. People are going to look up and see these things. And the angels are going to be preaching the gospel to the people of the world while all of this craziness is going to be happening through the the tribulation that we're going to read about in the book of Revelation. So you see all of that. The second thing is that the revelation gives us a clear picture of Jesus and his glory. A clear picture. Revelation is literally, like I think, the only book where you can see Jesus coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Up until that point, he's the Jesus that died on the cross for our sins and got resurrected, went back up to heaven. But in Revelation, you see Jesus for who he really is and all of his power and his glory. Number three, it shows the true nature and ultimate goal of Satan. You can see that in the book of Revelation like nowhere else. Four, it consistently points out the importance of being faithful and an overcomer in our walk with God. All through the book of Revelation. That's incredibly important, faithfulness and overcoming stuff, important to your walk with God. Um, Five, it emphasizes evangelism and its dire importance. It's showing us all this craziness that's going to happen. And then it shows us where everyone who does not receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior is going to spend eternity. And it just reinforces the fact that we need to be loving people into the kingdom of God and telling people about Jesus every opportunity that we get. Amen? Um. Six, it shows the power and sovereignty of God. It shows all the way through that God is large and in charge, and he is in control of every situation. All the way up until the end, God has the last, min- the last second of the last minute of this world's existence in control, laid out according to his plan. Um, and the last one, seven, it gives us an eternal perspective to filter life and the world events through. All from the book of Revelation. We're equipped to know what's coming up so that we don't get distracted by all the stuff happening around us. We talked about that week one of this series. And that's just off the top of my head when I was writing this down. Incredibly practical application for the book of Revelation to your life to help disciple you in your walk with Jesus. So it's incredibly important. So I hope that answers the question. We're going to continue digging into Revelation today. Last week, we talked about the rapture. Now, you guys look like y'all need some coffee this morning, so everybody say rapture. Rapture. Everybody say coffee. Coffee. All right, y'all going to help me preach this this morning? All right, everybody watching online, if you will, hey, just put an amen in the comments so that I know that you guys are awake right now. Uh, Amen in the comments. We're going to have some fun this morning talking about this. Uh, Revelation gives us insight into what's going to happen in the end-time events of the Bible especially during the tribulation period. We talked about the rapture last week. This week, I want to look at what's going to be one of the key figures in uh, the entire tribulation, and it's this guy called the Antichrist. Everybody say Antichrist. See, I I almost feel like you guys are starting to wake up a little bit this morning. He is is going to act as Satan's right hand on this earth to wreak absolute havoc and destruction. I want to go to the book of 2 Thessalonians 
And this is probably, if you guys ever you know, study on your own, this is probably one of the better books of the Bible to look at to get a general overview of who the Antichrist is and what he's going to be doing, what his objectives are, and, and his heart motivation. It's all kind of listed here in 2 Thessalonians um, in plain sight. We're going to start at verse uh, 3. It says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica because there has been a lot of misinformation and false teaching on the end times. And Paul was having to deal with this directly um, in a letter to the church because there was a lot of teaching that Jesus had already come back, that that rapture had already happened, and that the church was already in the middle of the tribulation and people were teaching that because of the incredible persecution that the church was going through during that season and all the hardships that they were facing. So they were looking around saying, this is nuts. We've got to be in the middle of it. So Paul had to correct that false doctrine. So he says, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, now that's the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. How would you like to have that said about you? Ah, that's Fred right there. He's doomed to destruction. That's not what you want said about you. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. At the end of the day, that is the end game agenda of Satan through the Antichrist to make himself like the Most High God. So that's what's going to be happening and, and look how Paul comes back here, and he kind of corrects a little bit, and he says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you about these things. Now, I want to pause here for a second and go back to that first question that we answered at the beginning of our time here today. Paul is saying, hey, don't you guys remember all of the end-time prophecy teaching that I gave you when I was with you before? So it's obvious that this stuff was taught in the New Testament church. Paul's referencing it here. He's like, hey, don't you guys remember when I was telling you about all of this stuff? Um, and now you know what's holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. That's very key. Right now, God is restraining the power of the enemy in this world. That won't be the case going into the tribulation. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow, amen, with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will, all, will um, be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power, through signs and wonders that serve the lie. He's going to be a master of deception. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refused the love, to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. That gives us just a glimpse of the motivation and some of the stuff that's going to be happening when the Antichrist is in operation in the earth. Now, if you want to do some really in-depth biblical study, I'm going to give you some other chapters and verses that you ought to check out. Um, Daniel chapter 7 
Daniel chapter 11 and 12, are very key scriptures for understanding uh, the timeline of biblical end-time prophecy and the timeline of what the Antichrist is going to do. And it gives us some insight into um, some of the ways he's going to do those things. Ezekiel 38 and 39 gives us insight into some of the Antichrist agenda and specifically his part that he's going to play in some of the major wars that are going to take place during the book of, tribu- uh, in the book of uh, Revelations through the tribulation. Um, Revelation 13 is another one that is really good at looking at getting an overview of Um, how the Antichrist is going to operate, how he's going to persecute the church, who he's going to be working with, and how that's all going to take place. These are great chapters to to read in conjunction with what I just read you to get a full picture. We're not going to cover that today because we just don't have enough time. We don't don't have time to to sit down and do a a deep-rooted, deep-digging class on eschatology today. Um, Eschatology is a 50-cent word. It just means we're we're studying end-time events. Um, if this was a course in a college or a university, it would probably be about three semesters worth of teaching. There's a lot of depth that you can go into. We're not going to do that. That's not the purpose for this series. The purpose for this series is for us to get a big picture glimpse of end time events so that we can be focused, especially during this season when the world's going crazy and not lose sight of who God has called us to be. One, to make sure that we're ready so that we can avoid all this stuff. And two, so that we as a church are letting everyone that we know to get ready so that we can see them miss all this stuff. So that's, that's why we're doing this. Um, who is the Antichrist? There's a lot of different opinions on that. Where is he going to come from? Is he going to come from the United States? Is he going to come from the Middle East? Will he appear out of the European Union? Is he going to be a person that will somehow come out of the um, reinstituted Roman Empire, like it's talked about in Anton Prophecy? What is he going to look like? What is he going to talk like? I got some theories on this. The Antichrist is going to be a person who is bent on conquering, who is bent on domination, who is bent on exalting himself, and he, he's going to have an incredible evil allegiance to the enemy. Now, um, as I'm thinking about this, a lot of people ask me, hey, do you think the Antichrist could be in the world today? And I think it's a possibility, so you start thinking about candidates who fit that description of wanting to dominate and decimate and take control, and they just have this, you, you know they're connected to the devil somehow, some way, you know. And I got to think, if I had to pick my opinion, the leading candidate right now in the world to be the Antichrist would be this guy right here that we're about to show you. I think Nick Saban is probably the closest to it right now. The dude, like he's, he's dominating college football right now in, in a crazy way. It's just dynasty after dynasty, whether he's at LSU or Alabama or wherever. You know, he's just doing that. You can't do all that without making some kind of deal with the devil, I think. So maybe that I'm having, I'm having fun. Nick, don't send me an email. Don't sue us. We, we, we love you and Jesus, but I don't like your football team. Um, but he could look something like that. Um, the Antichrist could be completely unsuspecting, though. He could look incredibly innocent. He could look like the average Joe guy. He could be with us right now, and we wouldn't even know it. The Antichrist could look like this guy right here. 
You just don't know. You just don't know. He could be back there in the media booth serving right now, and we would never know until he revealed himself. Larry's a good sport. I called him yesterday, and I was like, hey, man, I got an idea. Um, I'm going to show some pictures. Would it be okay if I showed her a picture of you and called you the Antichrist? And Larry said, yeah, man, go for it. I'm down with that. I'll be the Antichrist. So he was... <laughs> So, Larry, thanks for being a good sport. Um, nobody knows, really, where he's going to come from. Now, people will speculate, but nobody really knows. Nobody knows um, what he's going to look like. They'll speculate, but nobody really knows. Will he be a religious leader? Nobody knows. Will he be a powerful political leader? Honestly, nobody really knows, but it's, it would make sense to think that he's going to have to have some kind of political standing, and he's going to have to have a major religious connection because of how things are going to play out um, in end-time events. So I want to kind of give us a quick overview this morning. If we got, if, As long as we don't run out of time, I want to give us an overview of um, the Antichrist and his agenda, what's going to be happening. And if we've got time, start getting into the seals of judgment that are going to be unleashed on this world. So this is the happy, happy, joy, joy kind of Sunday. Sunshines and rainbows and all that fun stuff. But I think it's incredibly important for us to know this stuff. One, so that we can recognize it when it happens, so that we don't get deceived. There's going to be a lot of people deceived before it's all said and done. And I don't want to be one, and I sure don't want you guys to be one. Okay, so this is going to be a great Sunday again to take notes on. So if you got pen and paper, bust them out. Or if you like to write stuff on your tablets, bust that tablet out and get ready to, to take some notes. There's going to be a lot of good information that's going to equip you this morning. Here's some things that we know about the book of Revelation, uh, or you know, about the Antichrist from the book of Revelation. You got to bear with me. I got about 30 seconds of sleep last night, so there's no telling what's going to pop out of my mouth today. It could be a great Sunday. It could be YouTube worthy. We might be YouTube famous before this is over with. We'll see how it goes. Um, first thing we know is that he will make peace with Israel and the Middle East. And he will have all the solutions in the beginning. Now, there is going to be something that's going to happen here. Because for him to step into the spotlight and secure a peace treaty with Israel... That infers that there's going to be some kind of conflict or major conflict happening between Israel and most of the Middle East. Duh, newsflash, that's happening right now. But it's probably going to be on another level. Uh, so he's going to have to step into that situation to negotiate the peace. And he's going to have all the answers to the world's problems at that time. I think, personally, now this is my opinion, I think... Um, based on a pre-tribulation catching away of the church, which... Is, is highly likely, but it's not bulletproof. There could be others. We talked about that last week. Um, spend time on it. Go listen to the message last week, and you can catch up on that. I think the world's going to be incredible and be in incredible chaos because about a few hundred million people are just going to suddenly disappear. The economy is going to be greatly impacted. The world's going to be in an uproar. Uh, you can imagine the devastation that could be taking place. Um, but even if it's not that, there's going to be something crazy going on where he's going to be pushed into the spotlight and take prominence in the world. Now, here's something that I thought about as I was studying this this week. For him to be able to step into this situation, and listen, now, the tribulation doesn't start 
It doesn't start, and we know this because of the timeline given us in the book of Daniel. It does not start until the Antichrist signs this peace treaty with Israel. That's when the tribulation starts. But he's got to have some kind of standing and influence beforehand to be able to step onto the world stage and negotiate this peace treaty. Make sense? I mean, they're not gonna, the governments are not going to pick up the phone and call Bubba Joe in Arkansas and be like, hey, man, we got a big mess over here. Can you come over here and work this out like you did with Sally over that deal y'all did with the pigs? That, but it's not going to work that way. He's going to have to have some kind of influence in standing in the world and in politics probably. He's going to be a world figure, a world leader of some sort to be able to step into that. So a lot of people don't think about that. He's not probably just going to manifest out of nothing. He's going to be established. That's why it's important for us to pay attention to politics today, to pay attention to world leaders today, and not to live in fear, but just to watch, because whoever the Antichrist is is going to be in operation before he signs that deal with Israel and begins the tribulation period. All right, So he's going to have all those answers and all those solutions in the beginning, but he's not going to be able to sustain all that. Now, here's another thing that we need to know. He and the false prophet will work together empowered by Satan to form an unholy trinity. Satan's goal from the beginning has been to make himself like God. When he originally fell and God kicked him out of heaven, um, he said, Satan said, I will make myself like the most high God. That's his goal, that's his agenda. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Satan is going to, during this time kind of put together uh, an imposter trinity, a false trinity, to mimic the true trinity, but it's not going to be the real deal. Satan is going to step in and try to take the role of God. He's going to raise up the Antichrist to take the place of Jesus in the world. And the false prophet will be used to carry out the role of the Holy Spirit in this deceptive unholy trinity because the enemy wants to mimic God I got news for him he's not going to be able to touch him he's not going to be able to touch him but that's what he's going to do he's going to put that together the end agenda for Satan is to try to make himself like God why is that important Pastor Josh because things are going to get a little crazy while they're wreaking their havoc on the earth we know from the book of Revelation that he, he being the Antichrist and the false prophet, will perform miracles and call down fire from heaven. He will perform miracles and he will call down fire from heaven. Or they will together. Now, they are not going to walk around with name badges so everybody knows. And says, Hello, my name is Antichrist. It's not going to be like that. Hello, my name is false prophet. These are going to be world leaders. Um, at the time, and they are going to be able to do miraculous signs and wonders. I'm going to say it one more time. They are going to be able to do that. The Bible is very clear. In Second Thessalonians, we just read it. In the book of Daniel, very clear. In the book of Revelation, chapter 13, incredibly clear. These guys are going to be doing some crazy stuff. And because they're able to do crazy stuff, people are going to pay attention to them in a way like nobody else since Jesus Christ himself walked the earth. People are going to be swept away and deceived because of the power that these people are going to operate in. And they're going to see this guy who's negotiating world peace 
who's solving all the problems, and they're going to see this guy with his sidekick, the false prophet, walking around, working what seems to be miracles in conjunction with everything that they're doing. This guy's going to go out and try to conquer the entire world. He's going to succeed, not just politically, but he's going to do it in force, in part because of the signs and wonders that are going to, at least in other people's eyes, confirm that he is some kind of deity, and the world is going to bow down to him. Listen to me. This is why it's incredibly important for us to know the word of God. Because people are going to see this stuff and equate it to them being God itself. But we know that it's baloney. Anything that stands in contradiction to the word of God, it doesn't matter what the person is able to do. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's false. It's false. But the world's not going to understand that at that time. So they're going to be doing some crazy stuff. So he's not just going to be this big dictator figure. He's going to be working in the miraculous. And it's going to melt people's minds. Never, they've never seen anything like it since Jesus. Um, he will be, the Antichrist will be mortally wounded. Probably killed from what we read in Scripture. And then he's going to miraculously recover. A lot of people think that as he's rising to power that groups may rise up against him and try to assassinate him. Some people think that he'll be shot in the head. Some people, I don't know, there's just going to be an attempt to kill the Antichrist. He is going to be mortally wounded. And then whether he legit dies or he's just seriously wounded, mortally wounded means that you're going to die from the wound, okay? Whether he completely dies or is just mortally wounded and people know he's going to die. He's going to miraculously recover. Now think about this. You have got the Antichrist who at this time will have been dead or close to dead and seemingly resurrected back to life again who will be able to work with signs and wonders and with the false prophet call down fire from heaven whenever they want to. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the world. The world is going to bow down to him. And when he's resurrected from the dead or comes back from that mortal wounding, they are going to, that's just going to increase his influence and increase the way that people see him as a God. And the world is going to begin to worship him as God himself. So he's not just going to be a dictator. He is going to be literally a walking, living, breathing, false deity on this earth who has the ability to work in the miraculous. That's, I'm telling you, the world is going to be swept away in incredible deception when all of this happens. Now, after they see this happening, the Antichrist is about the midpoint of the tribulation is going to become incredibly aggressive, and he is going to establish a one-world government. He is going to establish a single global currency, and he will establish a one-world religion where he will be worshipped. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Any move you see happening right now to push towards heavier governmental control in any region, but that in conjunction with governmental oversight in a unified way across the globe. Look, your radars better go up like crazy when you see that because that is laying the groundwork 
and desensitizing and training us as a society to get ready for this to take place where the Antichrist comes in and sets up a one world government. It's going to happen. There's a big push even happening right now and has been for some time to see the establishment of a one world order or government or society. All of that is groundwork leading up to this. Now, there's a billion and one conspiracy theories that are connected to all of this stuff. Um, I don't go very far into conspiracy theory land because you can get so deep in that that you drown. It really doesn't accomplish anything. But we do know from Scripture that he will have a one-world government. So you got to pay attention to anything you see out there that at least in general begins to lay groundwork for that because the system needs to be in place before the system goes into effect. Okay, and when you see groundwork being laid, it ought to let us know how incredibly close we're probably getting to seeing some of this stuff play out. Does that make sense? Um, he will not just establish a one-world government, though. There will be a one-world currency at the time. And that will be implemented um, through the mark of the beast. Very clear, you won't be able to buy or sell without taking the mark of the beast. I want to talk about the mark of the beast next week in a lot of detail. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about it this week, but I will say this. Um, we need to be paying very close attention to the push to move to a digital currency. We need to be watching that. Okay, I don't care about... I don't care... <laughs> I don't care about cures for the virus... I don't care about chips accidentally being injected into us as we take, um, you know, vaccines for a virus or anything like that. The, the mark of the beast is going to be a willful choice on our part to receive it. It's not going to be something that we accidentally stumble into. All right, we're willfully going to choose to take it and to worship the Antichrist as God. That has to happen for that process to be complete. Um, I'm giving you a little little cheat sheet for next week. But the deal is this. Digital currency opens up the playing field now for a global economy on one currency system. There are no barriers. There are no exchange rates. It can all be done instantaneously. One world currency connects the world globally. And to finance that right there, you're seeing that being pushed right now. That is a key, at least in my mind, that is a key foundational piece that's being put in place that will um, give the ability for this to happen in the book of Revelation. You do realize that this stuff that we're reading about, it isn't like something out of a Marvel movie where it's like so far-fetched that you just kind of go along with it, but you know that in reality it's never going to happen. Things have to happen practically on this earth. So there has to be a practical system in place for this that we read about in the book of Revelation to take place. Okay, So it's not going to look like a lightning bolt from heaven and then suddenly there's a one world government and suddenly there's a one world currency. The pieces of the puzzle have to put, be put in place before the puzzle can be complete. And that's what you see happening. So I would watch that incredibly close. If you see a big push for that, that should be a huge mile marker to us. Uh, as believers to know, we need to ramp up our walk with God like never before, and we need to be reaching the lost like never before because that right there lets me know that we're probably not just close to Jesus coming back. We've got to be like on the very edge of the razor blade close to Jesus coming back for these pieces to be in place. You understand what I'm saying? 
So we need to pay attention to this stuff. So he is going to do that. He is going to set up a one world religion where he is going to be worshipped as God. It is going to happen. And people will worship him because he will be able to do the miraculous and he will have literally been resurrected. And somehow, someway, he will have done a miraculous recovery and people are going to accept him as God. Now because of that, you're going to see a side of him begin to pop out that's going to become very evil and very aggressive. Um, When that happens, he will begin to persecute and slaughter Christians and any who do not take his mark and worship him. He'll slaughter them. Whether they're Christians that refuse to worship him as a god, or whether they're just Billy Joe Bob who doesn't want government overreach in his farm, you know, though anybody who doesn't bow down and worship him as deity and does not take the mark of the beast, they are going to be killed. They're going to be killed. And the Bible gives us great insight in how that's going to happen. It's not going to be a firing squad. They're not going to give you lethal injection. They're going to line you up, and they're going to cut your head off. They're going to behead people. That is going to be the execution method that's employed at this time. So if you do not bow down and you do not take the mark of the beast, you will have your head cut off. He sounds like a nice guy, doesn't he? He sounds like a great guy to hang out with. He's going to become incredibly aggressive. Listen to me. You do not want to be around when this is happening. Okay. Will there be Christians on the earth when this is happening? Yeah, there will be Christians. There will be people that will see the church raptured out, and all the lukewarm people will go, oh, my gosh, it was true. And you're going to see a lot of people come back to the Lord. You're going to see those people lead a lot of people to the Lord. You're going to see the 144,000 Jewish evangelists mentioned in Revelation leading a lot of people to the Lord. But they are going to be systematically slaughtered because they will not bow down to the beast. Listen, if you think you can halfway your relationship with God right now and roll the dice and think you're going to make it during the tribulation, you're fooling yourself, Jack. Because if you can't stand for God right now when there's very little person and very little trouble and the most difficult thing we've got to deal with as a church right now is maybe people saying bad stuff about us and and the coronavirus hindering how we live our lives right now do you really think that if you can't stand for God right now you're going to be able to stand when persecution is unleashed on this earth like it has never been seen before and you will literally have to choose to have your head removed or you'll worship the beast and condemn yourself to hell. If you can't stand now, I guarantee you, you're not going to be able to stand later. Listen, church, we have got to make sure that we are quite hot with our passion for God. We have got to make sure that we're doing everything that God has called us to. This is not a season to be complacent or to get lazy. This is not a season to take a time out and catch a breath. This is a season to get focused on what God has called us to do individually and to get focused on what God has called us to do as a church corporately and get about the business of reaching this world for Jesus because we do not have a lot of time left. There's a clock ticking out there somewhere and all of this stuff is waiting to take place and we have got just a moment to reach as many people as we possibly can before it begins to become too late. We've got to be busy, church. We've got to be busy. Um, it's going to be an incredibly dark time. And this is just what the Antichrist is going to be doing. 
we're not going to talk about the wrath and judgment of God that is going to be poured out on the world during this time. That's, you're dealing with him, that's one thing. And the whole world is falling apart around you, that's another thing. We're going to start talking about that next week as we begin to dive into the seals of judgment that Jesus begins to open on the world. It's going to be eye-opening. You don't want to miss that. But the last thing I want to talk about today is this, about the Antichrist. Is he going to be a bad dude? Yeah, he's going to be a bad dude. Is he going to be able to do some crazy stuff? Yeah, he's going to be able to do some crazy stuff. Is he going to conquer the world? Absolutely. Is he going to try to set himself up like God? Absolutely. Is he going to kill an innumerable amount of people? Absolutely. He's going to slaughter them all. But this is what I know. That Jesus will swat him like a little fly. And all of that power and all of that fury and all of that wrath and all of that persecution, Jesus is going to swat this guy like he's absolutely nothing. The Antichrist is going to line up with the dragon who is Satan. He's going to line up with a false prophet and all the armies of the world, the Bible says, and try to do battle with Jesus. And Jesus isn't going to do anything but open his mouth and destroy them all. Jesus is going to swat him like a little bitty fly. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me some hope. That gives me some hope. Why? Because Satan is a created being. Somebody said one time that Satan is a little bitty angel in a whole lot of trouble. He's in a whole lot of trouble. He doesn't stand a chance. So as bad as it's going to get, I want to bring back proper perspective and letting us know, listen, we still have power and authority over the enemy right now through the name of Jesus. We don't have to buy the deception. We don't have to buy into the lies. We walk with power over him. You know, it's like the, the old joke. <laughs> it's an old joke. There was a sea captain in the British Army patrolling the shores, and he had a new first mate. And the first mate was just watching and learning the sea captain. And from the crow's nest one day, the lookout said, Captain, Captain, pirates on the horizon, pirates on the horizon. And the captain called the boat to arms, and the first mate looked at him and said, what do you want me to do? And the captain looked at him and said, I want you to go, and I want you to get my red shirt out of my cabin and bring it to me. First mate said, red shirt? Okay, whatever. So he ran, and he did it. The sea captain fought the pirates. They won the day, defeated the pirates. They were victorious. First mate came back up to the, 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 the sea captain, and he said, hey, I got to ask you a question. By the way, this is an awesome battle. You did great leading the men. Why did you have me go get your red shirt? And the captain says, because if we're in battle and I happen to be wounded, the red shirt will hide the blood so that the men don't see that I'm wounded and morale will stay high and it will increase our chance of victory. And the first mate went, oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. I got to remember that. A couple of weeks later, the boat's cruising along, protecting the shoreline, and the call comes out from the crow's nest. Captain, 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 pirates are on the horizon. Pirates are on the horizon. And the captain says, how many boats do you see? And the lookout said, 20 boats. There are 20 pirate ships out there. And the first mate said, captain, do you want me to go get your red shirt? And the captain said, no, go get my brown pants. 
Go get my brown pants. What does that have to do with anything that we just talked about? Because on that day, when the enemy lines up with Jesus, he's not going to want his red shirt. He's going to be looking for his brown pants because he knows he's been outmatched. He knows he doesn't stand a chance. You don't line up against the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the almighty God who spoke you into existence and think that you have a chance. He's defeated He's defeated. He is defeated. Guys, we serve an awesome God this morning. We serve an awesome God who is going to reign victorious over all. The King of kings and Lord of lords, he's going to conquer the Antichrist. But that doesn't mean that all this stuff is not going to take place. So i got a question for you this morning. Actually, two. First one is this. Are you ready in your walk with God? If all of this was beginning to play out right now, would you be ready in your walk with God? I got good news for you today. You can be. All across this place, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.